0: Wanna give love to the city, that's a fact.
1: But you're gonna need help if you wanna make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed.
2: Hi everyone, welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Vonkink, and joining me today as guest host is our producer, Lisa Purden.
1: Hi everyone. Okay, it's been a bit since I've been in the hosting seat, so I'm just going to dust some rust off. (coughs) This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. How was that?
2: Great. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond.
1: On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community because it's good to be well endowed.
2: Today we are continuing our Vital Topics series about millennials. Back in March, we talked about millennials and money.
1: And in June, we discussed how millennials approach activism and engagement. Today is all about how technology shakes, how millennials live day to day. But before we dive in, Elizabeth, could you give us a refresher on what Vital Signs is?
2: Absolutely, Vital Signs is a project that we've been doing for a number of years now, Um, We do a major report every October on a different topic, and lately we've been breaking it up into four mini topics. This year, our overarching topic is millennials. So we looked at millennials and money, millennials and activism, and millennials and trends. And this particular time, we're looking at millennials and technology. So this is a report that provides infographic information on uh, various topics that affect Edmonton and their community. And we've had just Like, a lot of fantastic data come out of vital
1: signs research. For example, did you know that 94% of 15 to 34-year-olds in Canada own a smartphone?
2: I did, but that's only because I help with vital signs. About 94%, yeah, that's a lot. It's one of the reasons that millennials are considered digital natives. And speaking of that term, digital natives, it means that the digital world is part of their vocabulary and second nature to how millennials operate. The rest of us, us older generations, are known as digital immigrants, meaning that we had to make an effort to learn the technology.
1: Yeah, that's funny because I am uh, considered a millennial, maybe an elder millennial, um, and I definitely do not embrace technology in the same way that my peers do. I definitely rely on my friends to bring me along with them with the latest apps and phones and, and what technology can do. But many of us millennials have grown up with rapidly changing technology. It has become an integrated part of everyday life. Our correspondent, Emily Rendell Watson, has more.
3: From fitness to dating and work, shopping, banking, food delivery, and more. Millennials regularly use technology for all of it, including me. We're the first generation to grow up with social media, learning about the world through computers or our smartphones, Google searches instead of encyclopedias, and email instead of Canada Post. So we're gonna hear from three Edmonton millennials who all use technology differently, but it's equally important to each of their lives. Hey Google, turn on the lights.
1: Okay. Turning
3: on three lights. That's Carly Drew. She's a freelance writer, disabled activist, and self-proclaimed sit-down comedian, according to Twitter. I started out by asking her how she relies on technology in her daily life.
0: So I have a neuromuscular condition called spinal muscular atrophy, which affects computers and phones, are how I type anything that I write. Otherwise, I would not be able to do so.
3: What would it look like if you didn't have access to those things?
0: Yeah, well, I consider all of these things accessibility devices, because they really are. without them, I would have zero independence. Or in the current pandemic, I wouldn't have a social life either because being high risk, I haven't been able to see anyone in person other than those that I live with.
3: So it really lets you live your life to the fullest then, being able to use different programs like that.
0: Yeah, and even having access to other people with my condition to share medical advice because Lots of doctors aren't really aware of the ins and outs, so it is actually a medical necessity. actually, in my activism work, do a lot to say that these things should be covered for more disabled people because they are so expensive because they're seen as a luxury to everyone else, but to us, it is survival.
3: So how much does it really cost to be able to access all the programs that you use, for example?
0: Well, I'd say thousands of dollars because even though lots of accessibility features are built into phones these days, if you don't have the newest and best, it's not going to run well at all. So other people want the newest iPhone Just because it's new and I need it to live.
3: How does it feel to be so reliant on technology?
0: I think the biggest issue is that it is so tied in to everything these days. Trying to stay focused when it's also the devices that you use to socialize and all that can be a challenge, but otherwise, I am so grateful that it exists, that I wouldn't change anything.
3: What do you think about how technology has become such a prominent part of our generation? I think
0: if people realize the benefits that it has for lots of people, that making it so accessible these days is so nice. At least now it's in everyone's home and not as complicated. The reputation with millennials and technology will be nice if so people could understand it's not always a bad thing. And folks, it's the only way for them to communicate. So saying someone doesn't ever get lost at home at least they have that avenue
3: when it comes to spinal muscular atrophy and using technology is there anything else that you wish people would know or could understand or that you would tell people
0: yeah i wish people realize we do live full lives i know a lot of people see a disabled person not necessarily with sma but just in general and think that, oh, that's really sad because they can't live. But we are actually thriving, and technology, like an electric wheelchair, isn't a sad thing. It's liberating.
3: That was Carly Drew. She's a freelance writer and disabled activist. Now, more and more millennials are meeting through online dating. Apps like Tinder, Bumble, and Hinge. In 2019, 30% of people online dating were 25 to 34 years old, and that's how Marina Bannister met her partner. She's a government relations consultant in Edmonton and also has a side gig, but I'll let her tell you about that a little bit later.
4: I use technology all the time, you know, for work, for play, for connecting with my friends. Every aspect of my life does involve technology in some way, shape, or form, especially during COVID when... So many of us are relying on technology to stay close to our friends and family. But that being said, I am not very good at technology. My friends kind of notoriously joke with me that I'm not... They have to coach me how to, you know, get through a Zoom meeting or how to drop a pin for a location if we're meeting up somewhere. So I love technology, but technology doesn't always love me.
3: (laughs) That's fair. You know, I actually had to Google... This is a little embarrassing. I had to Google the other day how to drop a pin... (laughs) So I'm in the same boat as you on that one. And the reason that I wanted to talk to you was because you have some experience using dating apps. Can you tell me a bit about that?
4: Sure. So I met my boyfriend, Alex, on Bumble a few years ago now, and we really are a good example of someone who him and I have so much in common, the occasional mutual friend, but we just never organically got a chance to connect in person. So we had never met in person and Bumble connected us. And, you know, once we had met on Bumble, we went on a date on a Wednesday and then our second date was on a Friday and then we've been inseparable ever since.
3: It's so interesting now how many people meet through things like Bumble or Tinder. What was it like to rely on technology in terms of meeting someone romantically?
4: It totally depends on the attitude you have going into it. So I know tons of people, including myself, who have met their partners on dating apps or online, social media even, and I think it's great. I'm very supportive of it because it cuts down on a lot of awkward conversations that you may have to rely on if you are meeting in person at a coffee shop, for example. You know, if you're at a coffee shop and you see someone that you think you may like You don't know if they're single. You don't know if they're interested in you. You know, it really takes a lot of gut to approach someone in a situation like that. Whereas if you meet someone online, you know that they're there because they're looking to meet someone. And that really reduces a lot of anxiety around the dating process, I think. I think there is still a stigma about meeting people online. It is such a good way to find those connections when it's uh, increasingly hard in person, especially in times like now when we have COVID-19.
3: As I said before, Marina also has a side gig, which is largely advertised and shared through Instagram.
4: So I am, you know, a quintessential example of a young professional who has a nine-to-five job that I'm passionate about, but I also have, as we call it, a side hustle that I do on evenings and in weekends and my side hustle is called uh, marina georgia makeup so i've loved makeup my whole life and i've always been passionate about artistry on myself and on friends and family but in the past couple years i decided to get uh certified so i'm a certified makeup artist and i freelance so i take on a variety of clients whether it's for an event a wedding a photo shoot so i have an instagram page and it's really interesting in the sense of how so many different careers, like makeup artistry, have evolved so rapidly with the advent of YouTube and Instagram and social media. You know, me and my friends always joke when I was growing up, you know, I didn't know how to put on makeup. But nowadays, there are so many young people who are learning skills like makeup through Instagram and YouTube. And it's just such a a resource for them. I use my makeup account to showcase different looks that I'm doing on myself or other people, as well as give product recommendations. I love all sorts of cosmetic products and I'm always looking to share that with all my friends and the followers on my account. Like so many businesses, my side hustle, Marina Georgia Makeup, relies on word of mouth. And what's interesting is word of mouth can now mean sitting around and gabbing with your friends but it could also mean sharing your instagram page with someone that's looking for an artist and i think that instagram has really accelerated my word of mouth marketing for my business because it's such an easily shareable platform that you can look to for inspiration, look to, to see if, you know, my style suits what you're looking for. And that has really accelerated my business and given me a lot of joy because it's something that I love to do.
3: Do you think that it would be as successful if it weren't for platforms like Instagram
4: to get the word out there? Oh, I think it would not be nearly as successful, you know, and it's again, the industries have just changed so much because Nowadays, you know, people are doing photo shoots and taking pictures and posting them online, whereas before, you know, you'd take a picture and put it maybe in a in a family album. But I think that because people want to be showing what they're doing with their life and sharing it with their friends and family through technology, that has led to more people wanting to learn about things like hair or makeup or fashion. And I think that that's ultimately a positive thing, you know, as long as it doesn't get to the extreme. And frankly, I don't know if I would even be as interested in pursuing makeup had I not had YouTube and Instagram and other forms of social media and internet. Because before I was a certified makeup artist, I was a self-taught makeup artist. And I learned from just doing makeup on myself, but also watching other people do it on YouTube. It's kind of a full circle moment almost where I learned so much and developed my passion through technology and social media. And now I have my own platform where I hope to, you know, provide that inspiration to other people as well.
3: That was Marina Bannister. You can find her on Instagram at Marina Georgia Makeup. Now, I was so curious to hear more about internet side gigs that I found Steven Robinson. He is a YouTube creator who specializes in creating mini movies. Everything from building a robot that can bake a cake to solving a Rubik's Cube while skydiving. Crazy, I know.
0: So nervous! Ah!
3: So Steven has spent the last five years documenting the process of learning over 150 skills on his self-titled YouTube channel.
5: I have a couple different channels, but the main one that I'm most well-known for is I learn new skills and documents all the persistence and failure and and kind of problem solving that goes into learning something new. The one that I'm most well known for is I learned how to solve a Rubik's cube in about 45 seconds. And it took me about three months. And then I jumped out of a plane six times and uh, solved it before the parachute came out.
3: That's really neat. What made you want to get going on YouTube? I think it's so interesting that YouTube is actually possible mm. to do as a career, as a side hustle now, because this is really the first generation where that's been possible. So yeah. what made you want to do it?
5: Yeah, well, it's kind of weird because I never really watched much YouTube before getting into YouTube. I think I just wanted to do it as like a my own personal challenge. So I thought, okay, I've been working really hard at university and doing uh, jobs that I didn't really enjoy. You know, I I might've put in a hundred hours a week into university and, and my part-time jobs at the time. So when I had saved up enough money to, to pay for those different things, I said, okay, I want to just try a whole bunch of stuff that I had missed out on during these times when I was working super duper hard. So I said, how do I create a system of accountability for me to do this? And for whatever reason, I thought YouTube was a good platform. And I think a couple months in, I just fell in love with the process of, of making videos and creating content and having people react to it almost immediately that I just decided to give it a shot and, and try to actually make a career out of it
3: has it been challenging or what kind of tricky maybe issues have you run into
5: oh god there's just there's just like an infinite number of challenges there's like this deep learning curve of learning how to edit and shoot and and kind of adapting to that technology trying to understand how the algorithm works and then trying to understand how to make money off of content online, like if you haven't blown up, is just like so difficult. But I think one of the hardest things about being like an emerging content creator is just kind of like the emotional roller coaster that you go on because it's 100 percent a form of entrepreneurship. And it's an incredibly difficult one because you're basically like you're making art and you and you might pour you know 40 hours into a video and have a hundred people watch it. and And somehow you have to figure out a way to like push through that. So for me, when I was an emerging creator, and still even now, there's just those kind of you know that roller coaster ride of confidence, kind of going to the bottom of the curve and just feeling terrible because you just put so much time into a video and and it didn't do well. and and i and I think that's probably the biggest challenge. The technology is surprisingly, Intuitive, and it's something that you can kind of just push through and figure out. But what's harder to figure out is how to just keep going when things aren't going the way you want them to.
3: Right, because you're relying so much on people being engaged with your content. Aside from the challenges and kind of that emotional side of things, there's also, I'm sure, a lot of rewarding aspects. And I also think it's really neat the idea that you can essentially. Because of the technology and camera gear and all of that, microphones, et cetera, that are available to us now, what's actually possible in terms of what's portable is so much mm. more. Yeah, can you, can you talk a little bit about that and how that has changed things, especially in being able to, to have a career on YouTube?
5: Yeah, well, what was really neat when I first started is I got a, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I initially pirated some editing software and then paid like a, like 150 bucks for a cheap camera. And just started to learn how to shoot video and edit it. What's crazy about that is I could basically fit an entire film studio in my backpack and learn all these things. I remember the first time I edited a video, I think it took me like 50 hours to make a four minute long video that I go back and look at it and I'm like, oh my God, that's so bad. But I remember when I initially made it, it just felt so good to create something and put it out the world and have people react to it.
3: So for people who want to get into YouTube now, Mm -hmm. how accessible is it to do that?
5: Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's two different ways to look at it. There's accessibility through technology and then accessibility through how competitive the market is. Because the technology has become so good, if you want to start a YouTube channel and you have a smartphone, you can start a YouTube channel. There are channels that still shoot with their iphones and have millions of subscribers and have like massive businesses built off of these channels that they've shot with their iphones like i'm a little bit higher production value but i can fit literally everything that i need to shoot a pretty nice looking video in a backpack and that is a completely new thing you know even 20 years ago the equipment in my backpack that may have cost, you know, $5,000 total would have maybe cost $100,000. Yeah, I think the ecosystem has become incredibly accessible to tell stories through film because of technology. You know, kind of the flip side of that is it's like so much harder to stand out.
3: The neat thing I think about YouTube is that often a lot of other opportunities Come out of it, like some of mm. the YouTubers that I've watched over the years, <laughs> you see kind of that they grow successful businesses that are also spinning off towards Instagram or, you know, right. other forms of social media or, you know, they work with companies. Have you also had a lot of opportunities come out of the work that you've done on YouTube?
5: Yeah, well, like I actually don't make much money at all off of YouTube. And, and I think that's like a really interesting. Aspect of YouTube that a lot of people who are removed from it don't really think about is that what most people who are making a living off of YouTube are doing is they're creating a brand and establishing a brand and then leveraging opportunities off of that. So for me, I've basically used my few YouTube channels to leverage opportunities in TV and production. I do public speaking as well. So I've been able to create a living off of a channel that barely like pays for itself through Google AdWords, but then has like five different income streams that allow me to do pretty well as like a mid-sized content creator.
3: So as a millennial, how has technology really Mm. shaped your life?
5: It's definitely made communicating on a surface level easier for me and it's and it's made my career possible. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to know without having lived a life with this technology exactly what impact it's had. Yeah, I met my current fiance on Tinder and my entire career is based on youtube and i shoot all of my film and edit all of my film on cameras and computers so my life is like so intertwined with technology that it's like i am completely dependent on technology and and pretty much everything i do you know i think that question has made me feel a little weird emily I'm i'm starting to maybe have a bit of an existential breakdown (laughs)
3: You can find Steven Robinson on YouTube on his self-titled channel. He's also currently developing a comedy nature show with CBC called Frick, I Love Nature. The past few months during the pandemic have certainly taught me about the importance of technology in my own life. I've been able to work from home and stay connected with friends and family around the country. If there's one takeaway from looking at millennials and technology and how they're so interconnected, it's that while we don't wanna always have our noses buried in our phones, The technology that I and other millennials use so readily is really bringing people together.
2: Thanks very much to Emily Rendell Watson for bringing us that story. And thanks to Carly
1: Drew, Marina Bannister, and Stephen Robinson for telling us about how technology influences
2: their worlds. If you want to see all the interesting stuff we found about millennials and technology, we'll have a link to this vital topic in our show notes. That's where you can find out more about our guests and see our latest on our blog.
1: We are still providing grants from our regular granting streams, so we'll have links to our upcoming student awards and granting deadlines. Be sure to check out those funding
2: opportunities. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, be sure to share it with your friends.
1: Yes. Use all your tech-savvy know-how to share it everywhere.
2: And you can just visit us on Facebook, where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures.
1: Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Lisa Pruden.
2: And Elizabeth Bonking. Until Until next next time. time. (laughs)